Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. I'm your host, Carly, and I'll be your guide on this journey from consciousness to cluelessness and back around again. Today on the podcast, I talk to Damien Mander. Australian-born and Zimbabwean-based Damien is an Iraq War veteran who served as a naval clearance diver and special operations sniper for the Australian Defense Force. In 2009, while traveling through Africa, he was inspired by the work of rangers and the plight of wildlife. Liquidating his life savings, the International Anti-Poaching Foundation was established to be the last line of defense for nature. If that isn't amazing enough, that's just the tip of the iceberg. He has done so much. I'm so excited for you to hear. Here we go. Thank you for joining me. I'm so excited that we got to connect. I really appreciate it. Oh, sweet. Thanks for having me, Carly. Cheers. Yeah, of course. So the podcast is called Consciously Clueless. And that came from this place of me realizing like sometimes you're with it and you get it and you think you've got it figured out. And other days you're like, I have no fucking clue what's going on. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm clueless and everything in between. So I like starting asking guests kind of like, where are you at in this moment? You feeling conscious? You feeling clueless? You feeling somewhere in between? How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Hey, it's been, uh, you know, I'm 12 years into a conservation career. I'm 41 years old. Uh, I've had some immense challenges uh, in life. It's probably a handful of times I probably shouldn't be here anymore. So this is all extra time and making the most of it. Uh, but, uh, you know, just in terms, I mean, I, I see myself being involved with conservation for the rest of my life. So this mm-hmm. is me now. And I've, I've been through uh yeah some really turbulent and tough times and now i'm really having fun with it so i'm enjoying it just come back from two months in america uh speaking with some of our investors new investors donors uh other people involved with the movement Uh, it's been been very um productive in that respect so we're just here in the middle of a massive scale up as an organization and yeah, it's, it's, I mean, there's challenges every day. Each challenge is a blessing. Uh, we come out of it stronger. So mm-hmm. I'm good. I'm still clueless in a lot of areas, mate. Uh, <laughs> but uh, fig- figuring out the clueless parts is um, it's all part of the fun. Yeah, absolutely. And turning it into fun is a real mind shift too. seeing those things yeah. as uh, enjoyable. So I first, like many, I'm sure, um, heard your story in the game changers and was completely blown away. So for those who haven't watched it, which if they haven't, and they're listening, go watch game changers. But if they haven't yet, can you kind of walk us through your journey into conservation a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I mean, my background, I mean, I grew up in Australia, uh, joined the, the Navy, uh, I became a clearance diver. Uh, so for those people in America, like the clearance diver in the Australian Navy is like our version of the SEALs when you're encompassing mm. the different roles that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, went across to an Army Special Operations Unit after September 11, uh, a new unit that was formed, uh, served as a special ops sniper, uh, did a bunch of years in Iraq, um, finished up there, just, I suppose, a little disillusioned with what next uh, and ended up in South America bunch of drugs and alcohol just trying to figure out the what next and just Mm -hmm. uh you know the purpose and mission was over the the network of friends and colleagues was no longer side by side Mm -hmm. and i was sort of yeah i'm just trying to figure it figure it all out uh and at the same time just 
yeah, just drowning it out um, in a way that I suppose a lot of people who are coming out of that sort of background do. I was, you know, one of the lucky ones hitting rock bottom. I, I uh, managed to get my shit together and, <laughs> and uh, get myself to Africa for, you know, what, what became the, the beginning of the next chapter. But, uh, you know, speaking to, you know, an American audience over there where you know, more than 20 U.S. veterans a day commit suicide, uh, having been in a, you know, it's, it's, you don't have too many months go past that there isn't someone from our network that, that, that we have worked with or been involved with or know that um, has taken their own life. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I was lucky. I found, I found, uh, found purpose again yeah. uh, in conservation and in animals. And, um, you know, and I, I do, I do, you know, when I say lucky, I'm, I'm dead serious about that. I am, I am one of the lucky ones. So when you say you were in South America, what got you from South America to Africa? Where, like, what was that transition? I was like 11 months into South America and just, I mean, we were just blowing copious amounts of drugs. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, at the time, at the beginning, it was like this, you know, I'd done well financially through residential property investment. I'd done well from a career standpoint. I'd survived three years in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was, uh, you know, and I, was, I wasn't even 30, you know, and I was, you know, it's worth like seven figures on paper with a property portfolio. Wow. So I was like, like, I've done. I did it. Know, I nailed it. I, I did great. Yeah, I, was, I was like, fuck, okay, what do you do? You go and take yeah. a break, go and, go and, uh, go and party. And that, that party just turned into uh, like just a year long downward spiral, uh, which I sort of didn't realize I was, I was, caught up in at the time until it was like shit you know where am i what am i doing wasn't using my brain wasn't thinking in that purpose and um you know i'd heard about this uh, yeah this what sounded like the next cool thing for for me to do uh which was anti-poaching in africa and just yeah i hooked up and i got you got a got a a one-way flight there didn't even have a check-in bag when i went to the airport oh my god carry on luggage and that was it in your life So you show up to Africa and you start kind of on this anti-poaching journey. What about anti-poaching was intriguing to you? Was it the animals at the time or was it just the next thing? No, it was was nothing to do with animals. Uh, It was to do about adventure and, and then, you know, trying to get a foot in the door with this, you know, what seemed like this cool job. I just thought I'd turn up and, you know, I've got all these skills and people will just be like opening the door. And then you realize, hang on a second. These are people that uh, have been working at this for decades and have committed their own lives to this, have built up organizations and reputations. Mm-hmm. They don't want some vigilante dude running around with a gun trying to hunt poachers. <laughs> you know, and, I, and then like at the same time, the, the penny's starting to drop on just what it was rangers did and how much they sacrificed. Uh, I'd just come from working in Iraq and we're fighting the arguments of old men for fucking resources in the ground. Mm-hmm. like it literally in hindsight it was you know we were just we we're just uh tools in in um in a much bigger game that we didn't even understand at the time uh, mm-hmm. to be exploited uh and then um you know but then seeing rangers like really inspired me uh you know they they made me want to do something more constructive other than look for my next personal adventure uh and in a way it made me reflect on who i was as a person mm-hmm. I've got to be honest, I wasn't really happy with like my value system at the time. 
and uh, and then alongside what was going on here, self reflection, who I was, what I was doing was was seeing animals, and it's sort of uh, you know Iraq had given um, Iraq had given me probably a different lens a lens through which to see the world and maybe comprehend things and and uh, and all of this sort of just started falling into place. You know, I'm I'm not happy with who I am. I'm inspired by this other group of people. And I'm seeing something that's that's making me angry and making me want to do something with the, the two things I had, I'd like the set of skills and this money. Right. Uh, and that was, that was animals, seeing what was happening to animals. And it was, it was more elephants and rhinos. I fell into conservation at a time when, you know, a, you know, a good guy with a gun could go out and be that last line of defense. And, uh, and you know, I was like uh, coming from a military background, you're a hammer and everything's a nail. so you were literally out there with a gun trying to make sure people didn't shoot elephants and rhinos yeah i was uh you know not just me but training teams of local local rangers how to do that and i thought that was the big answer you know and you know to to a large extent it works you know you stop stop poachers from coming in um, uh, and you know that's how a lot of organisations focus their operations. It's 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 looking very much from the inside of a reserve out. It's like this is our reserve. Mm-hmm. These are the animals that live here, and we're going to go out and protect them. And then, you know, over over years, and you know, a bunch of mistakes, and also having the 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 luxury of being able to reflect on the mistakes we'd made in the military, mm-hmm. the mistakes we we made in Iraq. I was able to sort of start to piece together. Uh, what I've now seen to be a much better way forward. And it's gone from looking from the inside out into the communities to being in the communities and looking at this from a social angle and dealing with it, with the environmental issues that we face from a social side um, in order to have an environmental or a conservation outcome. So that switch from inside to looking at like communities and, and how to make that, is that where starting your own organization came from? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that was um, October 2009. Uh, just, you know, there was a bunch of incidents that were happening, um, you know, a couple in particular, seeing an elephant with its face cut off. This, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, that's confronting. And I, you know, I used to be a hunter. Yeah. Uh, and a hunter and a, and a person that hunt not as what someone describe as, you know, maybe a more noble form of hunting, trying to, you know, hunt, hunt your own meat or your own food. Um, but as someone that did it as a desperate, uh, as a teenager that was desperate for some form of primal respect from my peers, you know, so take aim at the vulnerable. And, you know, so, so this is who I was. I was also a hunter. I, could... <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Hey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you, why did you hunt? Um, yeah. Social, social pressure and family life it was like a family thing to go out with my dad and the guys and um you know the the guys I was dating I'm from a small town northern Minnesota we're like right next to Canada we're in the woods that's what you do um you hunt and you fish and it made me feel like I was a part of the crew yeah it was it was uh yeah 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 so you were you were uh when did I stop um, I slowly was on this path of feeling weird about it. And I remember the last time I went deer hunting with my dad and I remember firing the gun and I remember being like, I don't think this is right for me. 
I don't think I can do this yeah. anymore. This didn't feel fun this time. And then I yeah. told my dad I wasn't going to hunt anymore and he understood. And then I told him I wasn't going to fish anymore. That was a little harder. That's been like our relationship my whole life. Luckily, I have a great dad who can adapt and will find other ways to spend time with me. But um, I felt like I was disappointing people by not hunting and not fishing. It was yeah. odd. It's odd. Yeah. It's a really yeah. odd experience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I grew up fishing with my dad and my granddad and it was like this bonding experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but a you know, bonding experience shouldn't have a victim. Uh Anyway, yeah. So you I, I saw never the so you saw yeah. the face of the elephant. Yeah, yeah. It was just you know, it's you know, like a, something the size of a truck killed for something you can hold in one hand. You know, a wow. tusk for someone wants to have a carving on their on their desk on the other side of the world, and um, you know that was sort of a catalyst for me. You know, with a whole bunch of other stuff, but that was like a finally you know, a tipping point. Um, to start selling up houses in Australia and, uh, mm. and start up start up the IPF uh, back in um, uh, yeah 2009. So started just yeah myself um, grew the organisation. We're very species focused. You know animals that were being targeted by the most aggressive t- tactics. Elephant, rhino sort of fitted in very well with me and the sort of crew that we built. Uh, and then you know we started. Um, getting you know bigger and bigger projects, more areas of responsibility, greater threat levels, and you know scaled again as an organization. And then um, it's just like you know what we're doing is I mean it's working, but it's not it's not the long term solution. Mm. Uh, we're looking you know there's going to be two billion people in Africa by t- by 2040, so we had to find a way to build relationships into the local community and make them want to conserve these areas rather than a bunch of of, of tattooed dudes with guns going out there and patrolling fence lines, telling, telling a local community to keep out. You know, these are, these are people that have looked after these areas for tens of thousands of years. Yeah. Then it was, then it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a Western hunter that's come in and, and, and shot these animals to shit over the last century. And then gone, Oh, hang on a second. These things are going extinct. We need to stick some fences up, kick the locals out who've been here for 10,000 years and um, call it a park and 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 but we could still have a white dude come in from the other side of the world and pay some money to shoot an animal but if some some local dude comes in um, we're going to call that poaching and um and we're going to throw him in jail for it so there's a bunch of things yeah like, that like yeah, white you know savior complex of like i know what's best for your community yeah yeah it was you know and i still get that you know i still get this white savior you know i'm a white foreigner in africa um, but you know what, like we've, we've made a bunch of mistakes and yes, I'm white and yes, I'm foreign and yes, I'm here yeah, of course. Working with local indigenous communities, but what we're doing is working and it just so happens that I was part of a team that helped build it. So yeah, people just need to get their heads around that. So IPF for those listening, International Poaching Foundation. Anti-poaching. Anti-poaching yeah. foundation. Yeah, yeah. That's an important but, uh, word in there, huh? <laughs> Yeah, we're actually doing a rebranding, you know, because anti-poaching is just uh, it's a very s- small part of what we do now um, in terms of our conservation model. Uh, you know, and I, I, I can explain more in depth about, uh, you know, how we, you know, our, our main program and what we run is, is called Akashinga. Uh, and that is um, empowering uh, Indigenous communities uh, to protect large-scale wilderness areas of significant ecological value um, with women's empowerment as the, the key component of that strategy. 
Uh, that was the documentary that recently came out, correct? Yeah, yeah. So that it came out last year. Again, that was sort of very heavily focused as a short form documentary on you know, picking out one component of the program, and that was predominantly the law enforcement component. Um, but you know, I mean, our, our, our model is focused around um, community empowerment, um, generally through gender equality, job creation, um, healthcare, education, uh, water sanitation, uh, infrastructure development. And then uh, biodiversity uh, conservation. So there's a whole bunch of things that are going in and making this uh, this model work. So it started as anti-poaching, and now it's just so much more. Yeah, it is. It is, and it's uh, you know we're we're not dealing with species anymore. We're dealing with biodiversity. We're not dealing with parks anymore. We're de- dealing with wide open landscapes uh, that are made up of multiple parks. Uh, and so, uh, and then of course, you know, there's the, you know, it's a very, um, as I mentioned, socially driven um, program. We're still a conservation organization. We're not, we're not even a, a women's empowerment organization as such. Uh, it's not carved into our, our constitution, but we just found a better way to do business. Right. Put women's empowerment at the center of the strategy, uh, let them use that, that opportunity to drive their own futures. That gives us the greatest traction in community development. Conservation becomes the byproduct. Those social aspects sound like they've been such a game changer for the the results of your organization. Yeah, they have. Uh, I mean, not just um, not just from a conservation standpoint, but just in terms of you know us in terms of growth uh, financially as an organization, where we go. Mm. I mean, we've grown. I mean, to the power of eleven in the last twenty four months. Uh, wow. So yeah, so we, we started to become, you know, one of the bigger players um, in the region, on the continent in, um, in conservation. Uh, and it's because we've got a big vision and we've got an idea that, that, that is changing not only conservation, but can change the world. You know, we now know after four years of running this program that putting women into the forefront of law enforcement changes the dynamics of society for the better. You, know, you overlay that knowledge uh, you know, as a filter across the United States at the moment and what's been happening there. Uh, in regards to to this antagonistic law enforcement approach, not overall, but in mm-hmm. enough cases to drive a negative narrative towards what is supposed to be society's guardians, you start to. You, I mean, you can't go into Chicago and say, "All right, we're going to get rid of all the male police officers, replace them with women, and see what happens." Now, in conservation, we had the opportunity to do that because there's so many conservation areas that are sitting vacant. Uh, that need work, oh, that need protection, wow. that don't have any infrastructure. So we had this very unique opportunity to be able to go in and build this force from scratch and to be able to measure um, all the outcomes. And, uh, you know, so we, I mean, we have zero corruption with the women in one of the most corrupt countries in the world. Uh, I mean, that it, for us just changes so much, particularly on the, the economic side that allows us to continue employing women from the local community instead of bringing them in from miles away. Um, that that then makes all the salaries that the the women are getting uh, direct community investment. Right. Uh, okay. So so and then on top of that, we've women naturally de-escalate tension. De-escalation in law enforcement means demilitarization. So we don't have helicopters and canine attack teams and airplanes and 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 uh, big offences and more guns. We have something far more powerful than biceps and bullets. We have interpersonal relationships that are driven by the women. Uh, in the communities that they were raised with, raised in, um, the communities they're raising their own family in. And, and that is, you know, when you're trying to have a relationship with communities that 
have tens of thousands of people and outnumber you um, dramatically. Um, interpersonal relationships at household level in these communities, there's nothing more valuable than that. Uh, that the interesting thing about that, it, we cut our core operating costs by two thirds because we're not spending all this money on military grade hardware. So the remaining two thirds, well, the first third is invested into women, the most effective form of community development funding. There's an overwhelming body of evidence that tells us that. Um, the other two thirds we invest into, into social development, healthcare, um, you know, building out clinics, stocking them with drugs. I mean, clinics, uh, places we arrive to, that women are delivering babies by candlelight with no drugs when we get there. And if something goes wrong, there's no ruby slippers that's going to take you to you know, wow. some place far, far away to get help. Um, getting registered nurses um, into these clinics, dealing with special cases, you know, like a young kid, Sean, seven years old, never walked, um, been dragging himself through the dirt since he was a kid. Uh, you know, you go and spend 600 bucks on a wheelchair for a kid like that and it changes his life. Things yep. like that, you know, it seems like uh, seems like such a small amount for someone like you or me, but it, it's, it changes someone's world. It, and then, it's, you know, the people around them, um, it changes the community uh, and you get start to getting a positive, a positive perception of the... Um, of the outcomes of conservation as opposed to this like us and them let's say you know here's this conservation armed force it's out there trying to stop us from from going and poaching it's like okay this conservation force is part of a much bigger picture uh and that bigger picture is benefiting us overall as a community and we want to be a part of that and so women became the bridge that conservation communities had to rebuild between each other um and then of course uh, you know women are, are fantastic at collecting information plugged into the community at that, that grassroots level. Um, and it allows us to, to be able to put the limited resources we have in the most effective places in terms right. of law enforcement. So that, that in itself has played a large role across the region in driving a downturn in elephant poaching. We've seen an 80% reduction in elephant poaching in an area that had lost 8,000 elephants in the 16 years prior to us starting this program. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So the summary, well, there's a couple summary points. One, women are fucking amazing. I'm just going to, that's a summary point. <laughs> and also is this, what I'm hearing is that you've created a model that you hope is then used in other places. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. And this is, this is uh, like the scrutiny that we sort of have come under as an organization that's doing what wasn't done before. I would say it's been immense, uh, you know, probably for the right reasons, but it does seem like there's a lot of people, you know, someone hiding under every second rock because <laughs> of the success we've had waiting for us to, to, to trip up or to fail. And right. I mean, not only for the reason of uh, trying to be squeaky clean in what we do, um, but also in the fact of getting it right on the ground, but we are trying to build a refine a best practice model that other organizations can use and replicate. And it's not just as simple as, uh, you know, replacing, you know, putting men into, into construction and labor roles and putting women into law enforcement roles. You have to change your organizational culture. Um, and, and that starts from, from the center going out and that's getting more, you know, equal or better numbers of women on the board, women in senior management positions. Mm -hmm. We had an independent gender mainstreaming audit done uh, to look at our policies and procedures, a code of conduct and ethics. Um, we had to make a lot of adjustments. Any uh, uh, 
any particular inquiry that was made, we had a, a specialist third party HR agency that specializes, specializes in gender issues, and gender mainstreaming um, to be able to advise us on this. Um, we've had a, 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 like a fourth party independent assessment of everything that we've done on the ground to be able to identify not only where we're getting things right, but more importantly, where we're getting things wrong or where we can improve. So all of this goes into the mix and it helps change the culture of the organisation. It helps strengthen us um, and then allow us to be able to build out um, this, this model of, of centralising our strategy around women. And, and people will go, well, yeah, that sounds like a hell of a lot of changes you had to make. I just tell you, yeah, it, it is. Right. But the changes for the better and, the, and, and the, the pros of having women in this role and the benefits that come from the community interaction far outweigh any administrative tasks that we've had to tick off to get here. So what is the geographic area your organization is covering in Africa? So we, so we, we, this program in particular, um, Akashinga, is focused in Zimbabwe at the moment. Okay. We started with, with, with one reserve, 90,000 acres, 16 women. We now have eight reserves, 1.3 million acres, uh, and a staff of 240. Um, oh, my we, goodness. The, the funding we've just raised, we are in the process of expanding that um, portfolio to over 6 million acres uh, in the next two years. So you're talking about significant areas of land and uh, wilderness, home to billions of different ind individual sentient beings and creatures, um, surrounded by communities of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that are benefiting from the program and the work that we're doing. Uh, the other the other program we run in uh, based out of Kenya uh, and now also in Zimbabwe is called Lead Ranger. And this is training indigenous leaders. Um, from existing well-established organizations. Um, to date, we've trained over 50 uh, instructors uh, from other organizations across Southern and East Africa uh, that oversee a workforce uh, of uh, over 1,100 rangers wow. uh, protecting 14 million acres. So it's, um, it's about creating scale uh, and economy and scale. You know, how can we achieve a greater outcome across a wider area uh, maybe it's not always like a hundred percent perfect in each area, right? But I'd rather have something like eighty percent uh, close to perfect, and be able to cover twice as much area than just have this one shining, like perfect area in the middle of all this other struggling um, wilderness. So you obviously, so it sounds like you see that expanding to as much acreage as you can, really. Yeah, we. I mean, we want to. A scale and, and operate within margins um, of our financial projections. You know, so okay. we don't want to overextend ourselves. Right. Uh, you know, but we, I mean, we do have a model that is changing the face of conservation. We do have something that, you know, I mean, if this is, if this is what's happening in Zimbabwe and conservation and the success that we're seeing here with, with thrusting women into the forefront of law enforcement, what's possible beyond Zimbabwe or beyond conservation. And these, these are the exciting things. And I think this is why this last round of funding in the US has been so successful is because it's, it's, it's beyond uh, just a country or, or an idea or, or a region um, or an industry. It's something that, uh, you know, it's lessons that, that, that may be relevant in the US. It's lessons that may be relevant around the world. Uh, and look, you know, while we, while we continue to figure it out and refine it, we're solving some of the greatest environmental challenges that we have. 
can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, we're just here we are. I mean, we're stuck here, um, civilization on its knees because of a pandemic uh, that that is that has brought us to a standstill uh, as a direct result of the way that we treat nature. You turn the news on that the world is on fire. It's heating up. It's flooding. It's burning. Uh, there's, uh, you know, and that that inspires me. There's never been a greater time in history to be involved with conservation uh, and wildlife protection. Uh, we're at a time of crisis, and we all need to be snapping our, our heels together and getting to work. And um, you know, for us to for us to be able to play a part of a much wider strategy as a global community in terms of uh, reaching the, the Paris Climate Agreement goals. Uh, our job is to protect nature, the greatest right. self-regulating system we have on this planet. It's a, it's a system that's functioned or is refined over billions of years. Uh, so we can talk about emission reductions. You know, it's, it's, it's as important, but protecting nature, and it makes up around 30% of the goals that we have to achieve as a global community uh, in terms of being able to stop this place from cooking. Literally, literally cooking. So switching gears yeah. a little bit, how did you become vegan? At what point did you go from hunting, fishing, military guy to uh, vegan running this organization? Yeah, yeah, good question. Uh, <laughs> like the, the, the hunting, you know, I never hunted after Iraq because after that I knew what it was mm. like to be hunted. Um, and then this integration Oof. of getting involved with animals uh, started with IPF. Um, I was still eating animals at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I was, um, yeah, I was, I was, I would, I was able to separate or partition the two. Yes, we need to look after wildlife. No, the other animals don't matter. And I was, uh, you know, I suppose um, just sort of, a, you know, obedient to my own conveniences. And uh, yeah, and, and as humans, we're fantastic at creating these these little excuses to suit our own conveniences, and or picking the good parts of a bunch of bad situations and and pulling that together to create your own narrative and, and you know how you can justify to yourself that mm-hmm. something's okay when deep down you know that it's not, and that's that's um, yeah that's that's human nature. Right. And I was doing it to myself. You know, I, chickens and cows aren't going extinct. Uh, you know, I'm doing all this good work over here and looking after wildlife. You know, I'm, I'm sort of entitled in a way to be able to, to mm. do what I want. Uh, you know, so these are the sort of levels of bullshit that, that you come up with. So, you know, so here I've been running IAPF for three years with a focus mainly on elephant, rhino, and, you know, for maybe you know, a few other things, but just not as sexy. Um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going through this, uh, this deep uh, internal interrogation again. Okay, who am I? What am I about? And am I really walking, um, walking the talk? And that's, you know, going out protecting one group of animals, coming home, eating another group of animals was, uh, was a hypocrite. Uh, mm. Ultimately, you know, it's two types of conservationists. There's, there's, there's vegans and there's those that don't want to take their work home. And at the, at the time, I was a nine-to-five conservationist. Uh, Interesting. And I, didn't, I didn't want to be that anymore. So I stopped, um, cut out meat overnight. Um, so that was back in 2012. Um, a year later, I went, uh, or less than a year later, I went, um, went vegan. And that's, uh, you know, we've carried that through now into our, our organization and our workplaces. Uh, the, uh, you know, all, all of our 
all of our, the meals that we serve. We've got seven, seven vegan chefs, actually eight now, eight oh, vegan wow. chefs. Um, we've got over five acres of garden gardens. Um, we've got a team of women doing one of the toughest jobs in one of the most harshest, uh, most remote locations um, on the planet. They're doing on a plant-based diet and they're thriving. So and the people that work for you, if they're eating the meals provided and everything are eating vegan. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that. a lot of people probably have kind of transitioned to that lifestyle because of that influence. Yeah. So, so yeah, this is sort of one of the things that a lot of the media wants to know when they come out, they're like, oh, <laughs> really, you know, what's going on here with the whole vegan side? I'm like, go and ask them yourself. Because genuinely, like, <laughs> it's, 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 I mean, we, we, we feed what we want at work and, and the whole, like a lot of right. organizations, you know, we're going to provide our own food. Right. Uh, and, you know, if you don't like that, then you're entitled to, to bring your own or, you know, totally not work with us. That's, that's completely fine. And, uh, you know, our, our, we, we feed extremely healthy food um, in great volumes. And we've got you know women that are work, walking up to 20 miles a day, sometimes longer, uh, carrying packs and loads and chasing poachers through the heat of the Zambezi Valley. You know, it can be 110 degrees there. So it's in our best interest to keep them healthy uh, and feed them good food, backed up by, you know, with a proper nutritional plan. Um, what they do at home is completely up to them. Most of right. them, from what we understand, take this back into it's you know it's a permanent fixture in their in their lifestyle um we have a program called back to black roots and it's focusing on um uh, uh getting back to how africa was largely raised which was on a plant-based diet and uh so we teach the women um how to grow their own food how to talk about it from a nutritional and ethical and an environmental standpoint mm. and we teach their families then we teach the communities uh, and then we build ambassadors uh so yeah, it's 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 um, in a country or on a continent where getting a- access to regular, uh, reliable or affordable healthcare is often um, it's often a you know a fantasy for so many people. Being able to provide and teach people with the tools they need to prevent most of the diseases that they're going to face later in life is is a is a fantastic part of the program and something I'm proud of. Absolutely, it sounds amazing. So how did you personally feel different when you went vegan? Like, did you, what did you notice? Were you surprised or were you like, oh, this is just, this is good. My shit smelled like grass clippings on a, on a <laughs> <morning>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Of all the things I thought you were going to say, that wasn't one of them. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh, I would say uh, that I'm being, I'm, I'm, I'm mucking around there. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, in terms of everything I've been able to do uh, in life, it is the single most defining thing, and and the thing that I still will continue to repeat as as being, um, yeah, it's been it's been life changing. Just, uh, I mean, I was never really the, the one to focus too much from the diet nutrition side. Mm-hmm. From a personal standpoint, it was always about animals and ethics, and I suppose from a conscious um, standpoint the lens through which I see the world now and, and mm. deal with other people, um, the empathy that that has allowed me to have, uh, it's all changed. And that wasn't an intentional part of, of the decision I made. It's just something that, that has happened. And I don't even have to get out of bed in the morning and I'm already doing something that, 
that is as, as, as good as anything you could do for animals or, uh, or for the planet. Uh, and uh, you don't always have to, to move to a different continent and, um, and start an organization and go out there and risk your life protecting animals. You know, the easiest way to protect an animal is don't stick it in your mouth. That should, that's going to, that should be the quote for this, for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> easiest way to save an animal. Don't stick it in your mouth. So it yeah. should be on a bumper sticker somewhere or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it how seems, um, seems simple, but uh, yeah, it's still a lot of people trying to figure it out. That um, what's that term? Cognitive dissonance, that thing you were describing, that ability to, to say, oh, this is different. I can do this because I do this or yeah. whatever it is. We're really good at that. Yeah. Masters of bullshit. Yes. Masters of bullshit. We are masters of bullshit for sure. Yeah. Grass clipping bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so how given the zillion things that you are doing with this organization as it grows and how do you take care of yourself what do you do for yourself to stay somewhat sane uh you know i exercise uh most days um i uh you know i've just finished like a brutal tour about 16 cities in um 10 weeks across the u.s wow uh which was i mean it's fine you know um you know if i'm not that was for IPF. I also speak on the National Geographic Speakers Bureau. So when you mm. combine one of our own tours with a National Geographic tour, it can be, you know, sometimes four cities a week, uh, late wow. nights, early starts. Um, gave up alcohol a while back just, you know, because I want to be extremely focused on, on you know, what we're doing and, uh, and uh, you know, just be able to be, be all in with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 40, 41 at the moment. So still in reasonable shape and um you know plan to you know see life out doing this whether that's another 10 years or 50 years uh you know this is what i'll do to the day i die so um, but yeah it is it is important to sort of sometimes you know force yourself to take a break i mean it's easy for me to work 16 hours a day because it ain't work it's um something i'm passionate about it's my purpose uh i believe in it uh you know we've got an amazing team uh, and you know, which I sometimes, sorry guys, I know I drive you crazy. Um, <laughs> some of the expectations and that, uh, with, with, you know, working, you know, or sometimes expect everyone to have the same level of enthusiasm. The reality is, you know, we've got people out there right now while I'm sitting here in the luxury of my home, people out there risking their lives. So, I mean, you really, you can't ask for, for more than that in whatever field or job you're doing. So we're just extremely grateful and lucky for the the team we have uh the model that we've been able to refine towards the success we're having um and all of that is is good enough medicine for me well that's pretty freaking beautiful um i thought of a question circling back that i meant to ask earlier but i was so enthralled with what you were saying i forgot um right now you're talking about zimbabwe and you talked about kenya and um are there other places Maybe this is a silly question. I don't know. Are there other places in the world outside of the continent of Africa that models like this could be useful for anti-poaching or for smuggling of different animals or anything like that? Or is that something you see in Africa? So we, we just are replicating this in two more countries at the moment. Okay. Uh, 
for over the next 24 months to refine those. Um, and those two countries, I won't go into too much detail because there's sort of some high-level negotiations taking place. Sure. Um, but uh, they, you know, they, they, they share a border with Zimbabwe that will allow us to have a close enough reach so we can, we can refine it. And then we'll look um, to go more equatorial rainforest um, mm. uh, regions. And then, uh, you know, whether that's in Africa, Asia, mm-hmm. Americas, uh, you know, this is, um, and it's, it's not just about us and what's in our portfolio, but it's about also working with other organizations that want to replicate it. This right. isn't the only way to do conservation. Right. There's a bunch of people have been doing successful conservation for, for a long time with completely different models, but this is something that we found uh, works, turns conservation funding into the most effective form of community development funding, cuts core operational costs and frees up a bunch of funding for, for social development. Um, you know, and at the same time bridges the gap between conservation and community. So it's, uh, you know, as well as, you know, driving the most powerful force in nature, a woman's instinct to protect. <laughs> you, know, you put that at the centre of, of, uh, of protecting nature. And it's, um, yeah, it's, you know, what, what can I say? It's just grateful for, for everything that's happening, really. It's, um, it's been a remarkable four years um, working with these women, seeing their own development, women that are survivors of serious sexual assault, domestic violence, AIDS orphans, single mothers, abandoned wives. Um, within 18 months, the majority have, have bought their own land, built their own house, got their families wow. back together, put themselves back through high school, uh, some of them off to college. We've had women speaking around the world you know, in front of up to 2,500 people. I had, uh, one of the women gave a lecture to Harvard Law School. Um, oh my like gosh! Uh, so yeah, and you know, from from the education they'll get with as part of this program, uh, where they've got the opportunity to, to to do any form of education they want, they'll go on to 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 penetrate everything from from healthcare to education sectors, uh, politics, um, uh, conservation, uh, and you know, always remembering the roots they came from. And, uh, you know, I think it's it's sort of a, in a way, a sort of slow burn revolution in these mm-hmm. rural areas to up, uplift them from, you know, what is essentially uh, you know, a very tough place to live uh, out there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. It's the ripple effects, the social ripple effects of the program are truly inspiring. And it's just really shows the what investment in community can do yeah yeah and so beautiful so i'm curious how did you get involved in game changers how did this documentary get you on board where did that come from uh so i got a phone call uh when was it? it was probably as far back as 2013 um from joseph pace uh the producer Mm -hmm. uh and he was um Actually, no, 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 no. It was, it was James Wilkes actually that contacted me first. They said they'd watched the um, TEDx talk uh, mm. and would I mind coming in and doing an interview for this documentary they were putting together. I did the documentary and then um, you know, I didn't, didn't think any more of it. And then I yeah. um, got a phone call from Joseph probably a year or so later. They said, look, we've, you know, the documentary's taken like on a whole new life. And uh, Louis Sahoyos, who won the, the, the Oscar for The Cove, is now coming in to direct it. Uh, they come into some funding to be able to to be able to come and shoot at various locations around the world. 
as well as you know some really key athletes that were yeah. you know building up the pedigree of this this documentary and my the request for me within the film was to try and tell the side of the animal ethics um, component um, from a, I suppose an alpha males standpoint <laughs> uh, you know because I mean look it's it's um, you know it's a movie that's often you know you know, it's full of alphas and I think that was the target audience there. And totally. You know, and you know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to shy away from it. I'm an, I'm an alpha male. Uh, and I think, you know, able to tell the story there to people that are just like me. Right. Um, because, uh, you know, as, 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 as that sort of that male, I think we should be role models um, in society. We should stand up for those that can't defend themselves. We should protect an animal sit at the, you know, right up the top of the list of those that are vulnerable in, in our communities and in our world. And, you know, you know, why would you want to, I mean, why would you want to exploit that vulnerability and even worse pay someone else to do something that you really don't want to do yourself. And so that was the sort of message I wanted to get across um, in the movie. Um, you know, I was sort of very honored to be a part of it um, and, and be a, you know, work with not only the production team and the, the, the director, but, just the, the individuals that were, were involved as well. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the, the premiere of that at Sundance Film Festival opened up the doors that would lead on to our own work with, um, with, uh, with James Cameron uh, and National Geographic. So that was the catalyst for those projects. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we're looking at, um, you know, what the long form version of uh, telling our story will be um, as well as, the, as, as our story and, and, program uh, and results gain um, gain more and more of an arc over time uh, it's um yeah we, we we've got a lot to tell <laughs> i am so glad that you were a part of that film because it did really bring this um lens of the animal rights piece that i think would have been totally missing from that um and i think that thread of your story within it did beautifully to to fill that gap cool thank you very much yeah of course the the producers for that (laughs) well i mean i I think you you played a part there your story was important but yes it was good that they included that because it was another component and like you said it was still the reaching that kind of alpha male target audience but from this different perspective yeah. And yeah. being able to talk about your military background and those things, I was enthralled the whole time and I've seen it multiple times now. <laughs> cool. So is there anything that you want to share that I haven't given you space to talk about that you're like, oh my gosh, I want everyone to know this? Uh, no, just, uh, you know, people that want to, um, you know, look up more into, into regards to what we do check out our website, IPF.org or International Anti-Poaching Foundation. doesn't have to be IPF, but just get involved with conservation and um, uh, protecting the environment in terms of how we live our life on a daily basis. Important things in life are not things and all this material bullshit that we have. Mm -hmm. Important things in life are relationships and actions and... and, uh, and you know, funnily enough, we can actually do more in this world by but doing less. <laughs> uh, you don't have to have all this shit, and, and you know, we can just scale things back a bit and, and lead, lead a much more um, 
saner life. Uh, but yeah, you know, just looking at, at how we do live that life and, and not trying to take on the good credits as, as, as an opportunity to do something negative. Um, mm. Always trying to evolve. You know, we, you know, nature has had billions of years to evolve. The, the cutting away of the bits that don't work and the retention of the bits that do with no predetermined path of, of where it's going. And, and we as humans, we don't have billions of years. We've got a handful of decades to, to evolve as individuals. So, uh, you know, and particularly those in our movement um, frustrated by having the conversations that need to be had and, and the, the feeling that those conversations are falling on deaf ears, keep having your conversations, keep getting better at them because, uh, uh, it may take someone uh, a decade to, to absorb the truth. It may take them a day, but ultimately the truth is accumulative and um, your conversations are not falling on deaf ears. So keep having them. Mm, that is so beautiful. If you don't mind, we're going to, for Patreon um, subscribers, for patrons, we'll do a quick kind of go through a bunch of questions, say what's on the top of your head. This will be just a little short uh, thing for them, but otherwise, I really appreciate you being here and chatting this morning. It's been amazing. Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. If you enjoyed that episode, hit subscribe wherever you're listening. If you want to help me get this into the ears of more listeners, send it to a friend, text it to a family member, share on social media, leave a review wherever you're listening. It all truly helps. If you want a little bit more from Damien and I's conversation, head over to patreon.com slash consciously Carly for a rapid fire question round with Damien and tons more. You should really check it out. There are yoga videos, meditations, vegan tips every week. It's really great and I'd love to have you there. Until next time.